Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter number 15. Three announcements as I begin. Number one. Grove Park's services are now on YouTube. We have not yet um, determined uh, the best way to do a live stream on YouTube as well as Facebook, but we're working on that. But at present, you can access, access YouTube to see Sunday service later in the day or on Monday. Number two... Due to two text messages that I have received from my parents individually, I just want to affirm that I am here. I am Mark Sanders. And I did intend to wear a tie this morning. You should have seen the messages. Finally, over 600 years ago, Geoffrey Chaucer composed one of the first great works of English literature, the Canterbury Tales. They are a collection of 24 tales told by a group of pilgrims as they travel from London to Canterbury to visit the shrine of St. Thomas Becket at Canterbury Cathedral. We are going to continue our journey through Luke's travel narrative in the coming months. But we are now going to shift our focus from the nomad disciple to a new focus that we will term Campfire Tales. Each Sunday we will examine from a different perspective as if someone is recounting a tale around a campfire that week's passage somewhat similarly to the Canterbury Tales, for they too were on pilgrimage. We begin this morning with a familiar tale, the Beloved's Tale. Let's pray. Speak, O Lord, that all who have tuned to hear may hear from you and may know in the fullness of who you are that they have indeed heard your voice and would run to where you are calling it. Give me words, Lord, 
For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We do the 15th chapter of Luke a grave disservice so very often as we like to break it into three separate stories. The building narrative that Jesus presents is lost to us, though, in this dissection. As we see Jesus, if the chapter is taken as a whole, dissect those who spend verse number one of chapter 15 grumbling about his dinner companions. In doing so, Jesus, the one whom the Spirit declared beloved at his baptism, as he takes these three scenes and weaves them together, paints for us a vivid tapestry of God's love. The beloved tells us first that the love of God is personal. We see it in the beginning of verse number four. As the shepherd sees that there is a sheep that is lost and goes searching for it. Can you imagine? There are a hundred sheep that the shepherd is watching over and yet somehow he notices that one is gone and he goes after that one sheep. We wouldn't do that. We would say that all sheep are the same. You've seen one. You've seen them all. We've got 99 already. The, another one, surely it will be born at some point. We don't have to worry about going out and finding that sheep. It's inconsequential. We might think more of searching for the lost coin that the woman is searching for in verse number 8 of chapter 15. For even though it's an inanimate object, it has worth. Yet Jesus is quite clear, this lost sheep has worth. It's personal to the shepherd that the sheep is lost. Beloved, let me be clear this morning when I say that God loves you personally today. It is not some blanket statement that we make to try to give the appearance of, of calmness and gentility to the world at large when we say that God loves you. No, we should understand it as a narrow application, repeated, yes, billions upon billions of times across the earth and across history, but it is quite simple and the most sincere and directed of terms, God loves you. He loves you not for what you are, he loves you not for what you have done or for what you are yet to do if you are going to do something great. He loves you in spite of what you have done. What you've done that the self-righteous at the beginning of the text in verse number one would scorn you from. 
4. The creator of all, the holy one, the righteous judge, the sovereign king, loves you. He loves you so much that he would and has left all behind to tell you just that. Regardless of how you feel in your relationship to this love of God this morning, let me, under, let me make you understand something, that He knows you. He knows your name. He knows your address. He knows you are here listening this morning, or at least I hope you are. And He wants you to know that He loves you. <coughs> At 6 o'clock this morning, I woke with that one message in my mind. He loves you. That is an overwhelming personal love. A love that will send a shepherd leaving all behind to go in search of one. And let me be clear this morning that when he tells us to go and to tell the world of His love, He does not intend for us to do so generically, but personally, with that same love with which He loves us, with concrete actions, and such that we are expressing it to those that we believe deserve His love and to those that we do not believe deserve His love, to those who already feel His love and to those for which His love is foreign, to those who desperately show that they need to feel the love of God, and to those who seem to do not need it. It is not sufficient for us to say, God loves you to the world, and then treat the world like their needs and their desires and their lives don't matter. We must back up what we say with our words because He is a God whose love is personal. Next, the beloved tells us that the love of God is persistent. Each section recounts this. In verse number four, we are told that the shepherd doesn't quit until he finds the lost sheep. Verse number 8 tells us that the woman who loses the tenth coin will seek diligently until she finds it. Until. It's not that they go until they give up. No, they go until they find it. You and I will go in search of things and, and we will grow weary and tired or bored or hopeless. But the scripture cannot lie. It tells us that the love of God persists until it is accomplished and that which is lost is found. In other words, the beloved tells us in his tale this morning that God never, ever gives up on us. God is constantly at work telling and showing us His love. We may not be able to feel it, but in no way does that mean we are separated from it. 
It simply means that God is persistent until we learn to experience His love anew and afresh. He is continuously pouring His love toward us. There are a lot of lonely and seemingly forgotten folks today who need to know that God has not given up on them. That is the persistent task of the church and of the nomad disciple, lest you think we will leave the term behind, to say that God has not forgotten you, but God persists in loving you. Life may have knocked you off the path, nevertheless, His love persists. Life may, have, may not be turning out like you had planned, nevertheless, His love persists. Life may be difficult and confusing, nevertheless, His love persists. All your hopes and all your dreams may be dashed. But nevertheless, his love persists. You may feel that you are standing on an outcropping in the middle of the sea with category five waves crashing around you and you cannot see anything because it is so dark and fear enraptures you but understand you are not alone he is there because his love is personal and his love nevertheless persists this is the message of the sheep and the coin and yes it is the message that rings in the mind of the son inevitably as he feels the embrace of his father despite his profligate ways that nevertheless his love persists. Such is enough, isn't it? Such is enough to know that the love of God persists and that it is personal, but the beloved's tale continues on to tell us that the love of God is both protective and provisional. Verse number five tells us that the shepherd lays the lost sheep on his shoulders and takes him home. We know from the husbandry practices of the day that the first thing that the shepherd would have done upon finding the sheep is that he would have checked the sheep out to make sure that nothing has gone wrong, that there are no injuries that the sheep has suffered, that the sheep's health is good. And then what does he do? The sheep that has wandered off and caused him such great and, and amazing um, need to, to go off from his plans, has sidetracked his whole life. I would have been so mad at this sheep. But what does the protective shepherd do? He takes the sheep and he puts it up on his shoulders and carries it home. Likewise, Luke 22 tells us that the father tends to the son in like manner. 
he clothes the son with the best robe, not, not, some, not some holy thing that they just pulled out of the closet. He says, bring the best robe. I have to think that this is not some threadbare thing that can barely keep the cold out, that this is an all-encompassing robe. And he says, bring the best robe. And oh, I see that he doesn't have on any shoes. So bring him some shoes to put on and then take him home and feed him. You see, the love exemplified here is protective. The beloved tells us that the love of God will look after our needs. It is provisional. But in the protection, I am left to think of another issue. Because it's not simply the protection of home to which the son and the, sheep and the sheep is carried back to in the all-encompassing love of God. It is that that shepherd, I suspect, though there's nothing in the text, so you'll have to give me some literary leeway, that that shepherd was prepared to fight. That shepherd was prepared to fight if when he found the sheep the sheep was cornered by some hostile and wild animal. There is no doubt in my mind that the shepherd would have gone into the midst of that situation, even at threat to himself, and to fight for the sheep. I think I find the proof for that if we go over into the next passage and we see the father in a verbal battle with the older son about his hostility to his younger brother's treatment. Beloved, let us understand this morning that the love of God is protective, protective to the point of fighting, and that God is fighting, has fought, and will fight for each of us to ensure that we always, always, Feel the warmth of the embrace of his protective love. And let us not be ignorant of the fact that he calls us to exhibit the protective love that you and I bathe in persistently by fighting for the lost and the forgotten and the thrown away of this world that we are that which he uses to fight so that others may know the protection of his love. Now understand something. You may think that you can fight and you may think that you will go out and you will fight something and you, you'll just throw a little bit of effort at it. But beloved, understand that the fight is not to be engaged in lackadaisically but true to the love of God as we have already seen it, it is to be done passionately. Each scene in the beloved's tale is woven together with this thread, the passionate love of God. We see it in verse 5, as the shepherd rejoices upon finding the lost sheep. The shepherd rejoices all by himself. Out in the wilderness, the shepherd is yelling thanks 
Because he loves the sheep so much that he is rejoicing that he has found it. And then on arriving home, he calls all of his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. The beloved then tells us that the shepherd's festivities mirror those that are in heaven when one sinner repents. The passionate love of God. Likewise, the woman who finds her lost coin calls her friends and neighbors together after she has found her lost coin and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Nobody may be... uh, Uh, worried about it but come with me I was worried and now here it is the provision of God because of his great love and his protection has enabled enabled me to find the coin so come let us rejoice and the beloved tells us such is the celebration of the angels before the throne of God when one sinner repents And then the beloved tells us in verse 23 that there is a celebration when the son returns home. A celebration so raucous. I've never seen this before till till this encounter with the text. A celebration so raucous that when the older son is still coming in from the field, I don't know how far off he is. I just know the text tells us that he is coming in from the field. And the text tells us he hears the music and dancing. Now, some of us would say, oh, they were just clogging. But I remind you, they had sandals. So imagine the softness of Birkenstocks trying to dance. I went to Chapel Hill. You can't hear them. That's all they dance in there. Afar off, he hears. He hears dancing. It doesn't say he just hears the music. It would be sufficient if it said he just hears the music. But it says he hears the dancing. Such is the passionate love of God. It is not dispassionate or calm, but loud. It goes into the very marrow of our being and shakes us to our core as it declares contrary to everything that the world may say that the divine creator of the universe loves us. And the question for us is, can we feel it? Can we feel it that passionately? Or better yet, can we display it? Does the passionate love of God bubble out of us such that the world can hear it from afar? They can't even see it, but they can hear it. Beloved, can they hear it emanate from this building?
at 108 Trail 1, can they know the love of God shaking from this place in similar manner? You know I am a musician. I love, though it is ultimately going to be the cause of my being deaf, to stand in front of a band, any band, and hear them play with such ferocity that it shakes me. Such is the God who loves us. And such is the God who calls us to go love beyond these walls and these people to people that we know not, people that even now pass by, people that right now are waking up somewhere in East Burlington with a needle sticking out of their arm, not knowing what it was that they injected themselves with, but knowing that it was a good time for a little bit, so or so they think. He calls us to love people who look nothing like us, act like nothing like us, do not have our values, and would curse the very God we serve. And yet he says to love them passionately. We can know the answer to all of these questions that have been offered this morning. Whether we experience and display the personal, persistent, protective, provisional, and passionate love of God by whether folks are complaining about who we're dining with. Remember, the beloved's tale is given in response to people complaining about who he ate with. He eats with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. And it ends with another self-righteous one complaining about the dinner party being thrown and for the loud music coming out and the loud dancing coming out for the son who was lost, you don't do it for me. And you have always been here, he says. I love for you has never dimmed and it didn't dim for that one because when I saw him, I saw him and my heart was moved and I went running to him and embraced him in all the stinkiness of the pig path. See, the ones on either end of this do not want to come to table. But today, there is a table of love prepared. A table for two. Isn't that generally the sign of love? A table for two. A table prepared With the beloved saying to all who are lost, come and eat. And to all who are found, 
Remember you two were lost. Come and eat. There is a table set. As the old hymn says, Come and dine, the Master calleth. Come and dine. He said it just for you. Will you eat? Or will you complain? The beloved's tale this morning. Let us pray. Lord, May we bountifully sit at table. And feel afresh your love. Gaze into the loving eyes of a Savior. And fall in love all over again. Yes, jars of clay said it best. I want to fall in love with you. Help us to do that today. As we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the Sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Mm-hmm.